I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep. The podcast where two brothers watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. Welcome to today's episode where we watched Paul Thomas Anderson's modern day masterpiece, There Will Be Blood. And this week's conversation features a special guest. Why don't you intro him, Mitchell? Yes, our guest on the pod this week is Andy Squires. For those of you that don't know, Andy Squires is a singer, songwriter, and an overall artist. Both of us uh, love his music. He's got two albums out now on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to music. One of our favorites. And, uh, you know, we were going back and forth on this or the Elephant Man, but we land on There Will Be Blood. And so uh, we're just excited to get get his thoughts on this movie. It's an amazing movie, and Andy really brought uh, just an awesome element to our conversation. We're so grateful to have him. So we will now cut straight into our conversation with Andy Squires, already in progress. Let's jump in, sleepyheads. Oh, this is great. Well, thanks for being on the pod, Andy. Oh, man. Glad to be here. Dude, you, you should introduce yourselves a little bit. Okay. I mean... You know, our last guest, he's in the film world here, yeah. so I feel like the A to B is clearer, but maybe you could tell people who you are, what you do. Yeah, I, I'm not in the film world. I'm not even a film buff, but I I'm, um, I feel like I pay attention to the film world enough to be uh, at least have a, a decent conversation about film. My name is Andy Squires. I am a musician, writer, um, and uh pastor and um I, I i i guess i spend my days kind of like just thinking about the meaning of life and so film is obviously uh you know a big part of that uh you know quest to describe the mystery of life and to even maybe potentially come to some conclusions about life so i'm not a big deal but i kind of am at the same time <laughs> That sums you up. Sums me pretty up. Well. <laughs> what, what, what's your What's your old saying of cargo shorts and Crocs? But also, oh, I don't know. You say it better. Oh gosh, I I can't remember. Oh, I'm cool as hell, but I wear cargo shorts and Crocs or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, so we're, we're friends, mm-hmm. and then you're just now meeting my my other co-host here, mm-hmm. who's also a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just thought the, the worlds were hanging in with this pod and kind of what we do overlap a lot. So we thought it'd be cool to have you on to talk about just one of your favorite movies, mm-hmm. um, which initially started as the elephant man. Mm-hmm. We were, we were going down that route yep. and then, and then you, you pulled the switcheroo on us and we're going with there will be blood. Yeah. What, so what, what was the switch there? Well, you're just feeling some heat on the second. Yeah. So Elephant Man is obviously not obviously Elephant Man is one of my all time favorite films. Uh, I saw it in fourth grade. You and I were we, you we were talking about David Lynch, and um, I kind of felt like I, I don't know like I just felt like maybe going down the David Lynch rabbit hole wouldn't be as fun, you know. Um, I mean, because it's kind of what <laughs> it's kind of like what everybody does, right? You know, like if you're into film, you're right. you're you're paying attention to mm. David Lynch. Um, and and so I had one of those nights. I mean, this is what y'all's podcast is about. And I had one of those nights where I was sleeping. I, yeah. I was in my bed. I couldn't sleep. My wife was sleeping. I got out of bed. 
pulled up my laptop in the living room and I, I found there will be blood again. And I watched <laughs> Just it waiting for you. It, in the it dark. was, it was. And I was stunned because I've, I've seen it before. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if I saw it the same year that it was, it came out 2007, but I do remember not being smart enough then to really catch what was happening. And mm-hmm. when I watched it this time, it immediately shot into my top 20 films of all time. And I I was like, I was like, Oh God, I have to talk about this with the McClary brothers, you know, like, (laughs) come on, you know, so I, you know, cause, cause it, so you hadn't seen it since 2000 or like years. Yeah. It's it's, it's been, been it's been a while. I mean, I've, I've discussed it with friends before and, you know, had conversations about it, but I just don't remember it impacting me the same way it did when i saw it you know last week or the week before um yeah and and then we can talk about this but like i think for me there's just been an artistic convergence for me of a lot of different themes that i've been working on myself over the last 10 years um Mm. like artistic ideas and and then philosophical theological um ideas that uh I don't know. It, it, it's like I didn't have the interpretive lens to see the film initially. Yeah. Uh, although I, I, I could tell it was a good movie. I knew I knew it was a good movie. I was a I was a um, <laughs> fan of the director, you know, and uh, but it was lost on me. Yeah, Andy, I had a similar reaction because I probably haven't watched it in about mm-hmm. ten years, Whoa. and I, I I watched it probably 2007 eight and my memory was because I was like graduating high school and my parents had a Netflix subscription back when it was DVDs and there will be blood sat in our house probably for yeah. nine months because really? my mom put it on a queue I can't imagine yeah, mom put mom it on a queue yes let's get that movie in the house well and that's the point is that she never watched it yeah. I'm sure and 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 I put it on one day and recognized like you said, this is really good. And I think the individual pieces and parts of the film were what stuck out to me mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, the, the, this performance, this scene, this monologue, these are all great, and I recognize that. And then revisiting revisiting it this week, I was struck by a lot of what you, you're saying and also just my own ability to take this in as a whole mm. piece, the themes that it's wrestling with. But more than anything, I was struck by uh, how much more uh, strongly it hits in 2021 mm-hmm. <laughs> the themes that it is working mm-hmm. through and which I'm sure we'll get into and in, in, in terms of um, uh, capitalism and America and religion and, and all of these things are kind of swirling together in this dark swamp of oil mm-hmm. um, and 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 I and I thought boy I, I I knew this stuff was here but that this is what the movie's about uh, where 10 years ago 15 years ago when it came out, I was like, hey, Daniel Day Lewis is, he's an angry, crazy He's pretty person. good That's at cool. acting, dude. <laughs> Honestly. Yes. <laughs> and I think for me often, and and I don't know how much we'll talk about it, but it often is compared in my mind or, or next to in my mind, No Country for Old Men, which is a movie that I find a little bit more accessible mm-hmm. narratively. Um, <laughs> at least I did at the time when, it, when these two first mm-hmm. came out. And so, No Country, that movie I get, There Will Be Blood, is really good, but it kind of sits there in this 
uh, enigmatic place in my mind. Uh, but this this week rewatching it, I, I was a lot of that was kind of an un- uncovering yeah. of uh, so much of what the movie is. I mean, that's interesting that you bring up the No Country reference because all week in just in preparation for this podcast, I've been kind of doing an analysis of of this story up against two different Cormac McCarthy stories, the road, the road yes. and, um, and blood Meridian, which Mitchell and I've had quite yeah. a few discussions about blood Meridian, but, um, I actually, after I read it and we talked about it, recommended it to Matthew yeah. and then he checked it out and, I, and yeah. I read it and, and I thought about blood Meridian all week yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. So, so like for me, um, that was probably helpful diving into Cormac McCarthy Blood Meridian's landscape became my lens, my interpretive lens for the film. Mm. But then for the road, I, I was I was struck by the 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 relationship um, divergence between the father and son in the road, and then the father and son in yes. in there will be blood. So, um, yeah, I I I, I feel like the landscape is is kind of like the the leading formative uh force in in blood and um you know yeah and 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 i thought about blood meridian a lot both these historical stories um at different but earlier points in american history and and i think uh, i think some of the thesis in both the in both there will be blood and blood meridian is is the 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 violent uh, uh, birth of America, the, 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 just how difficult so much of that was. I mean, and, and I, I listened to an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson and, and Daniel Day-Lewis this week in prep and, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis was talking about what, what becomes of men, what became of men who left their families, left their homes to, uh, with the, with the dream of becoming rich and most of them didn't but some of them were, you know found basically unimaginable wealth but even in the leading up to striking it rich were living in these kinds of conditions that just were uh, were, were breeding grounds for violence mm-hmm. and and all kinds of vices and uh, um, uh, greed and jealousy and strife between people and and that's so much of blood meridian too of this strange marauding group of ex-soldiers i don't i don't you know you know enacting violence across the Mm -hmm. landscape yeah and i isn't it interesting how sometimes in in the modern era if if we are in the modern era we we kind of have a romantic notion of the good old days like there's this some some Mm. kind of pure human being that lived in the 1800s or late 1900s great again yeah and i you know, obviously we're talking about stories and storytellers, but I, it, it feels like there's quite a bit of veracity in, in the stories that we're talking about anyways. And, you know, as opposed to this ideal, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that they're all that they're or nostalgia. Yeah. That they're all just good people trying to make their way in the world and, you know, you know, they weren't on their phones and right. <laughs> yes. That, that isn't that that's like a common critique of modern society, right? Like we're all yes. on our phones all the time. And I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, so what? I mean, before phones, I watched TV nonstop. Like, 
You know, I was, yeah, right. if it wasn't TV, it was comic books or if it was, you know, I was always looking to have my mind uh, stimulated yeah, somehow. Yeah. Well, and, but even, even like when the novel as a, as a medium became more popular, it was, it was derided. Yeah. It was criticized as like trash pop right. culture. And I mean, I've been like, I'm, I've been reading, I, sitting right here, I've been reading East of Eden this mm. summer. And I wonder what people, what people thought of this yeah. trash. Cause that's a lot of the criticism of Steinbeck is that he's so, so yeah. earthy and really lets his characters be sinners. Mm. And, and now we, we herald this as like this amazing modern or this amazing work of American mm-hmm. literature and, and, and the way that we progress, uh, <laughs> you know out of that out, out of you know what what our notions are i mean i, I we just we don't know what it's going to be mm-hmm. in the future how nostalgic we're going to be about our cute yeah. iphones 30 years yeah. from now or like you know shows like love island will be like oh, that, was, <laughs> <laughs> that was something <laughs> they were on to something <laughs> the good old days and now we just have this dribble <laughs> But yeah, it's funny, like, th- these movies are always talked together, obviously shot in the same town, came out the same year, Oscar battle, and in my mind, I was a no country man, like, when I, I had seen that, and I, there was this, uh, you know, sense to There Will Be Blood that it was too difficult, or um, a lot more, like, alienating, and so I thought it was like a Coke Pepsi thing. I was like, well, I like No Country. I'm not even going to try it with their Louis Blood because I, I know I like, that's the movie I'm supposed to like. And then I remember SNL doing a milkshake, I Drink Your Milkshake skit. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm interested. I need to see this scene. That's yeah, you're, that's you're, really you're not interested until, until it's lampooned. And then you're like, no, I have, no, I have no context for uh, <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson as a high schooler. But uh, SNL, I understood. Oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> I'm having this, so I'm doing that that CD a day thing, and I'm having all these like just one like sentence long memories for each of these pieces of media, and that was that was definitely thoroughly blood is like, I, don't, I think Bill Hader loses. I drink your film. I drink your milk. <laughs> yeah, Bill Hader yeah. in his mind. Yeah. Um, but okay, before we get too far into the movie, we got to ask. We ask everybody, and by yeah. everybody, I mean yep. our two guests. Um, but part <laughs> of the pod is the formative movie memories, and so. I wanted to go back even like teenager or like kind of first moments where you're like, oh, okay, this, this is mean something different to me on a whole nother level. Um, like if you, if you had those moments yeah. or movies you could share. Oh, about that. oh, definitely. My, my, I still say one of the best movies ever made is Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. Now I know there's a lot, there's <laughs> a I lot know. of controversy yeah, over this, but that film brought feelings out of me that i did not know i had i would i remember being a kid in the theater watching that movie just completely how how old how old do you think i had to have been in elementary school i mean it was maybe 1985 86 or something like that you know um and and i know that one gets it gets picked on because it's super dark maybe i've just always had this affinity for darkness but (laughs) but that one i mean from the from the beginning uh, the opening credit of the, um, you know, it, Indiana's got, he's got a, there's a jewel. There's, there's, and they're in, a, like yeah, a, they're restaurant. In a restaurant. There's a jewel. There's an exchange. He has a cocktail. He's yeah. poisoned. And then the, the, the race is on to get the antidote. Yeah. And it's just like from the very beginning of this film, it is a nonstop roller coaster. And then, yeah. 
and yeah it, it's just super dark like there's satanic ritual like there's there's a scene where a guy is strapped to uh some kind of stone and a, and a witch doctor sticks his hand into his chest and pulls out a beating heart there's child slavery there's all of these zombified all right, as you're talking about it i'm like yeah this is this is on brand for yeah him. totally yeah <laughs> and, and and it's like it just was it just captivated me from early on so that that was like my mm. big popcorn movie uh movie that i've just always gone back to um and then you know when i was in high school david lynch uh my senior year was when maybe junior year was when twin peaks came out and and mm, then senior yeah. year wild at heart came out and that was i i hung out with kids in school that were film nerds and so i the the art kids were all about david lynch and that was well before his legend status you know but we would right. we would sit sit around and watch wild at heart and we would we would dissect it wow you know? Interesting. yeah so that was um that was like uh, i i totally remember that and and i think i already told you the story mitchell but like when amy and i were dating which would have been like 93 <laughs> or 94 uh i took amy to see firewalk with me firewalk with me yeah and yeah. she almost <laughs> broke up with me over that like we we left the theater after the moment when the you know you know what lynch does with his sound design there's a scene mm -hmm. where there's a dead body he's a psycho and the and the uh, the fbi agent is he sees uh he sees a uh a typed letter piece of paper right. under the fingernail and he lifts it up and the sound is like it's the best part of the scene, right? And 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 Amy walks out. I'm like, "Where are you going?" You know, and like and, and she, You're like this is great. And and so the the conversation in the lobby of the theater wasn't that was a terrible movie. It was how could anybody be in their right mind and like something like this? You know, like like what and enjoy this. Yeah, what is wrong with you? That's what she wanted to know. So That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's funny thinking about Lynch like I'm watching stuff now and you just have the awareness of him. Yeah. And so like the the really out there strange methods that he's using, like you kind mm -hmm. of accept yes. it and let it wash over you yes. a bit. But I, I I can't imagine like like oh this new like Wild at Heart even. Yeah. Like, oh Nick Cage, Laura Dern. Yeah. And you're like yeah. And yeah. Willem Dafoe, and you're like, God, this is strange, isn't so it? So strange. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know, man, I I can't really think of anything else just off the top of my mind, but if I mean, I'm not a snob. No, that's... I'm not a snob. I like I like it <laughs> yeah. all. You know, I like. I now I will draw. Okay, I will draw the line at Fast and Furious. I've never seen a Fast and Furious <laughs> movie, and I've never seen a Transformer film. So like that's a, that's I, amazing. I do have my Matthew, Matthew has something to share. Matthew has something to share. I in watched that my first. I watched my first Fast and the Furious movie this week. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been, I, I've been so much of my life without seeing any of them and the first one it's there it was on HBO I thought okay and okay. I was so so mad yeah. about it it did it did nothing yeah. for me and I am just sure, sitting there, sure. how is this 10 yeah. movies yeah. okay well then I gotta but ask I, this real quick I, I'm not a snob right. I watched right. it right like I'm willing to meet that yeah. movie where it yeah. is. I was going to say, some context for, for Matthew. He's very generous with his like like scope of what he appreciates <laughs> yeah. when it comes to movies. Yeah. So, but I got to ask, what, what's so what's the cargo short movie for you? What's the like guilty pleasure? You know, it kind of sucks, but you enjoy it, sort of thing. Gosh, 
I feel like you're a big Mark Wahlberg guy. Oh, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. I love <laughs> Ma- Mark Wahlberg um, movies. Like, I stand like with Mark Wahlberg. Shooter. Oh, God, I Shooter, love that movie. Patriot Day. Day. Dude, I, I, think, I think on y'all's... Um, the way you've come alive. I know. Like you guys, you guys started talking about Liam Neeson. I rewatched Taken the other night, and I'm just like, this is the best movie. Like, if you're a dad, <laughs> if you're a dad, this is the movie for you, right? right that's right. that's how I feel about Mark Wahlberg films. You know, he amazing. <laughs> he's just like I can't figure out why he is has this attractive pull for people like because because he, he he plays a knucklehead in every film right like he's yeah, a right. he's a bro he's checking some box he's a bro yeah like he works out he he's <laughs> good at guns or or something like that you know it's like who cares like why is that <laughs> but, interesting? but he's also like he's also not as good as like matt damon yeah. or these other guys right yeah but he is still has this magnetism yes. about him yeah so he he's he, he's got that boston not taking himself too seriously but like is pretty serious well, that, well that's interesting the boston connection is interesting because i feel like matt damon started there right but but he couldn't yeah he yeah, couldn't is, have done true. the what was the spy series that he did um the born movies. movies he couldn't yeah. have done that if he'd Wahlberg. No, 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 no. He's not. Well, oh, well, oh, I'm oh, saying that yeah, Damon yeah. couldn't have done the Bourne series had he remained attached to his Boston thing, right? And I think yes. that's what Wahlberg right. has never been able to do. Like, even when he's working with yeah. Scorsese, Scorsese is putting him in <laughs> that role hey. still, right? <laughs> Giant tie. He, it's just the, he's my still, favorite. He's Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> But yeah, that's my. It's co- like he's so, he's always slightly unintelligent. Always, yeah. And, and I, and, I love and him for it. All right, I, I like this, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> we'll have to do a, a, a Marky Mark deep dive sometime. Oh <laughs> All right. Well, okay. How do we even jump into the will be blood here? So, so we kind of we kind of talked about just how you came across this movie a couple of weeks ago. Why we're having this conversation. Um, and um, I, I, I want to give maybe Mitchell a chance because I think Andy and I both shared a little bit about how this movie hit us this week. Um, so you it sounds like you've watched this a lot more often or more yeah, frequently. Yeah, I, I was surprised uh, to hear how, that. How did it hit you? I was surprised to hear you said that this was the first time for in a while too because I've watched this probably yeah. every two years or so just because it mm. happens to be on something. Like that, that's, yeah, that's it's like always on Netflix or something. A whole nother star like automatic star plus that it's always available yeah. on like every other movie I want to watch. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I watched it every few years, but I feel like the movie gets better and shorter every time. That's I watch how it. I felt about it mm. this time. Yeah. It was yeah. way shorter this time. Yeah. Like I was like, Oh no, we're already here. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to leave plain view yet. Mm-hmm. I want to see the madness keep spiraling. It- in my in my memory of the movie, that opening sequence that basically has no dialogue oh. and it's just him working, that's like 35 yeah. minutes. But it, I think it's only 14 yeah. in, in the actual movie. Yeah. But in my head, it was the first time I watched it. That's yeah. hard because it is really disorienting. It's a disorienting choice at the beginning of your movie to basically have no dialogue for such an extended mm-hmm. period of time. And with the character, you don't mm-hmm. know. And it's, I think it's a, it's a brilliant introduction to the character, but it is still challenging. But it, it just flew by this time. <laughs> yeah, it works better 
each viewing mm-hmm. yeah. after because you have so much context and then you can look for subtler things going mm-hmm. on. But um, yeah, I, I, I also, I, I, I mean, I'm aware of how good the soundtrack is, but it, it just beats me up every time yeah. more and more like the opening shot with those. Okay. And I was going to say this too. It, like the opening shot on that mountain range, desert mountain range with those strings just losing their minds and kind of resolving, but kind of not resolving. I was like, this this makes sense to me why you chose this movie. It's like you tend to embody some of that contrast in your in your work, I feel like. Absolutely. Of, of terror mm-hmm. and beauty and they're next to each other and they're making friends. Yeah. And it's like, it's always haunting, but haunting can be like, you know, a nice thing to look at at the same time. Mm-hmm. So definitely the soundtrack was hitting me harder this time. This time I, around. I love that, that opening. Cause you, you talk about the shot of the Hills and that soundtrack. So there is, it's drawing you into something, but there's still a beauty about the landscape. And then you watch him mining. He falls, he breaks his leg. It's this incredibly painful, difficult thing and feels so treacherous now that you've watched him do it. And then the camera pans back up and you get the same shot of the hills. And I, I don't, it must be a different music cue, but it's similar. And But it feels like just 15 minutes later, it has this entire different meaning, more in the kind of treachery and terror side than the American West possibilities and mm-hmm. beauty side. And, and the way that he draws you through that in, in, in a matter of minutes, basically without dialogue, I think is so much of the power of this movie. Yeah, and he's he's establishing, Anderson is establishing a lot in the first 15 minutes. Like, yeah. so, so that hole ends up killing other people, but it doesn't kill Plainview, right? So, yeah. mm. and the fact that he falls down, breaks his leg, gets up, drags his ass to town, you know, with that rock that he's got in his hand. And like, you, you realize that nothing is going to stop this person, you know? Yeah, I heard a great uh, like analysis of that of that moment where they don't show him dragging himself right. to town, and we're, we we just get to imagine yeah. it. But it's so much more intense that way. Of like, yeah. he he lived a movie in even that story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that's 127 hours. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like yeah. this guy dra- dragging himself miles on a broken leg, and they just eh, skip that. Like that's just how determined he is. And that's some setup for the rest of the movie. Do you guys know? Like, do you guys know this Gus Van Zant film called Jerry? No, but Jared was talking about it last. Jared just told us yeah. to watch. Yeah, I haven't so, seen it. I, I'm familiar with it. So Van Zant does, does this trilogy called the Death Trilogy. One is Jerry. One is Elephant. One is Last Days. Yeah, uh, I've seen Last Days. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Um, but but Jerry is two guys stuck in the desert they they've gone yeah. hiking in death valley and there's some scenes there's some scenes in that film that to me are daniel plainview dragging mm. himself into town with a broken leg but determination yeah determination i mean but i mean i'm sure i'm giving this away but like in jerry the, the protagonists don't always make it out you know but um, yeah like there's there's some kind of you know, there's that famous line in, in blood where Daniel Plain views, like I have a competitiveness inside of me that yes. I don't want to see anybody else win, you know? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what we're witnessing from that starting frame and, you know, story within a story in that first 15 minutes is like, we're finding like 
like say what you will about his this guy being a misanthrope and hating all of humanity and and whatever the thing that he does have going for him is that i mean i don't know that this is uniquely an american virtue but dang it if americans aren't really good at doing hard things over and over and over yeah. until they figure mm. it out and i think that um we don't really find out till later on that this guy is bad I, I at least I don't realize that if if you're if you're seeing this film for the first time you're not you're not coming to that conclusion by the end of the 15 minutes right, your conclusion yes. can only be this guy's determined and nothing's going to stop him yeah which makes uh, for an interesting setup for the rest of the film yeah because even the, I think it goes directly from that first uh, prologue into one of his, and I think we see it twice in the film, but it's his speech to a town, a small town, trying to strike a contract. I'm the I'm an oil man, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And there is something, there's a darkness about him, but it looks more like opportunism and tenacity and and his own uh, expertise in this area, kind of leveraging that. Uh, uh, but but it's it does not... Um, uh, it, it it doesn't come across as evil or yeah. outright wickedness because yeah. he's even saying, "Hey, we're going to help the town. We're going to yeah. build roads. We're going to we're going to do this." And and that also feels like a particularly American value of opportunism, yeah. where he's gonna he's going to be the big winner here. But also, hey, everyone, we're going to raise everybody up. Yeah, that's right. And, but but it's he suspicious. is not. But there's a suspiciousness about it because he would not let that happen unless he could guarantee himself being the big winner. And then he right. walks away from that town because they can't they can't sign a lease, they cannot agree on that. And he said, "This isn't worth my time. I'll find another one." Yeah, and I I think that's another fascinating uh, contrast in this film is that Daniel Plainview is very direct. He's hmm. he he is a grifter. Yeah, but but his grift is in plain sight he's not uh, plain view yeah plain view yeah unlike unlike eli sunday (laughs) yes who is who has it who has a grift going but it's it's much more complex you know it's it's uh it's sneaky he's one we're we're all used to seeing more mm, but it's it's this it's a grift dressed dressed up in the the trappings of church mm-hmm. which is is so common to people and yeah of course every town should have a church and right this this young guy he seems to he seems to know his scripture let him do it and mm. but i mean and we, we could talk about i don't want to get too far into the ending or anything and, and that big turn he takes but um eli that first scene at the sunday ranch Eli, I love the way that Anderson shoots it, where it's kind of this wide shot of the family, and then, and and Plainview thinks he's dealing with the dad, the owner, uh, the older farmer, but then Eli like kind of inserts himself as this, and it, it comes off maybe like, oh, the oldest son is uh, trying to step into the family business, but but then uh, Anderson locks the camera between. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis and Paul Dano, and they are like having this tight fight. Shot. Yes, this tight shot between back and forth between the two of them. They are having this little battle over this table. the The dad is completely out of view, and it's Eli who is doing the negotiating now. And because he sees an opportunity for himself and for his ministry, 
and he is going to be the winner in this and he's he's going to work to guarantee himself a place at this table um and because i think if it were up to his dad they would have signed a lease and no complaints family got some money and daniel got his land and his oil and it's all good uh, but eli had eli is up to something bigger one one note that i did want to bring up while you're talking i'm thinking about uh the initial question that you asked Mitchell about, I, I guess it was essentially why this film. And one of the things I've been thinking through over the last little while of my life is this concept of, um, well, I, I'm, I'm totally fascinated with Dust Bowl aesthetics. Mm. So uh, tw- 1920s, 30s, the land has been drastically harmed in the midwest specifically oklahoma and surrounding areas and uh i always think i am always thinking about the people in that time and i i i came up with this phrase recently about um well well in terms of like feeding your children like how, how how do people talk about god how do people talk about god when they can't feed their children you know how how do people talk how do people how do religious people practice the 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 sacraments of communion when there's no bread like how do you how do you yeah. practice communion in view of not even having food to feed your kids and there's one line in this film that i that stood out to me more than any it's when h w and daniel are pretending to be on a camping expedition and they walk up to the Sunday farm and they meet the dad and they're going to go set up camp to over to the right. And the fox hunting quail, yeah, hunting quail quail. And the dad is trying to be as hospitable as he can. He's a dirt farmer. He's got nothing really to give these people. And he says this phrase, he says, we don't have bread. Yeah. We cannot mm. grow wheat. We don't have bread. Yeah, we've got right. we've got potatoes and we've got a little goat's milk that we can bring you. Yeah, and I I just I find like that for me is a a pinnacle moment within the film because what to me Paul Anderson is doing whether he knows it or not it's hard to tell how you know calculated these totally. guys are um, but it's like this this situation this geography in southern california and the deserts of southern california this people group are sitting on top of all of this wealth but really they are a breadless people they are a communionless yeah. people in some sense they're mm. kind of they're god forsaken yeah and i and i right. and i think that when when um when there's god forsakenness happening in mm. an area the devil always shows up to make deals. And that that's mm. to me, to me, there's two devils going on in this in this film. I was gonna say there's a battle of there's devils. There's a battle here. of devils. It's not actually a battle between good and evil. It's a battle of two devils, right? Yeah, and right. it and it gets super confusing for people because one devil comes offering bread, right? So so mm-hmm. that is one of Daniel Plainview's pitches to p- communities that he's talking to. He's like, it, it is so specific. Yep. 
it's bread. Yeah, it's, it's bread. Right, right. Yes. There's no way with all this, the religious themes in the film that that is just a throwaway line. I, I, I don't and, think... You know, that Plainview would prefer bread right. as a request. Yeah. You know. I mean, I mean, the, the the father leads with, we don't have bread. And then that's like, oh, I mean, it's, it's Jesus in the wilderness, right? Yes. Je- Jesus right. is starving. The devil comes and offers him an easy way out of hunger. You know, Turn these stones into bread. So, yeah, sign on this dotted line yeah. right here, you know? And um, the whole film is this study in how people lose their souls. People lose their souls in order to mm. get bread. And, right, and, yeah. and, and that's, that's Daniel Plainview, and it's Eli Sunday, as, yeah. we, as we see later. You know. Yeah. Right. Well, even Plainview's uh, interpretation of whatever Eli does on a Sunday in his church, he's like, "God damn, good show." Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. At least it's like, yeah, it, it's the the idea of the bread that's being offered from Eli mm-hmm. is isn't bread at all. Right. Yeah. It's just an illusion of it. Yeah, and of and, what real communion is. Yeah. You know. It's so interesting, and we're talking about it. At the end, you know, Daniel has uh, amassed all this wealth and driven everyone away from him, basically. And he he lives in a tomb of his own making, basically, in this mansion. And Eli comes to him, and Eli is trying to run a grift again. And and Daniel has the upper hand but uh, Eli is trying to come across as I'm successful and things are going well but he is destitute it seems and has this huge need and the 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 devil that wins says bow to me basically renounce your god call yourself a false prophet bow down to me and and it and it will be given to you and of course that's even then, because Eli says, "All right, I, I'm a false prophet. I, 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 my God is not real, or whatever he says." God is and a Daniel superstition. Ma- yes, superstition. God, God is a superstition. I am a false prophet. Daniel makes him say it louder and yeah. like he's preaching, and and then a perfect inverse to Eli's yes demands of uh, plain view. Ab- absolutely, and then. Eli thinks, okay, I've, I went through this incredibly painful thing. I made the deal with the devil, and the devil says, I have nothing for you. Yeah. I, I own it all. It's all mine, and you don't get anything. And sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and then he beats him to death. But, and then he bashes uh, his brains in. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then, well, you know. That, I, I just love that. I am a false prophet, and yeah. God is a superstition. I, I, it's it's uh, the, the inverse the inverse of Daniel Plainview's confession in the church. Yeah. I wrote, I yeah. wrote it down, which is, uh, I am a sinner. I am sorry, Lord. I want the blood. I've abandoned my child. I will never backslide. I was lost, but now I am found. I have abandoned my child. Yes. And, and so give me the blood. What we see <laughs> as his confession is actually a prophecy because mm-hmm. he actually doesn't, do any of those things at that moment, but they yeah. end up paving the way for the rest of his story to the end. Because, because even when, even when he puts HW on that train to, to go to the right. deaf school, yeah, I, I see some regret. I mean, yes. I, I see a parent making that, a hard choice. Yeah. Right. That, that was actually, 
I wanted to bring up with you guys to see how you interpreted this because in my memory of this movie, like he's just a cold-hearted businessman. There's no empathy or, you know, like in my memory, there's just using his adopted son to, you know, gain profit. But then on this watch, I'm like, there, there's some real yeah. connection oh, and yeah. love. And like, like, like him, especially after he first uh, gets hit with that oil explosion and yeah. his death and the way he's holding his yeah. son, like this, this yeah. is, this is real. And this character is complicated and it's not just, he's a bad guy no. from the beginning. And he, I mean, there's, there's know. some moves where he's, he actually rubs his hand down his yeah. cheeks and he's, yeah. there's just nothing but tenderness. And then that, yes. that yeah. first scene where HW comes back from school yeah. with his teacher in the field, in the field. And, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Daniel Plainview walks him across and then he kneels down and he wraps him up in his arms. I, yeah. my, my first thought was, wow, that's interesting. I mean, I wonder if, I wonder how out of place that would have been for early 20th century yeah. m- macho man to, to yeah. do that. Father-son you know? relation. Yeah. yeah. So he was obviously, I, I feel like, in at least at that point he was more complicated he was more there yeah. was there were more things yes. going on in his being as a person than what we see at the end that the real full-throated abandonment of his son yes which is go you're just a bastard get out and and a bastard in a basket <laughs> i can't not do the voice yeah. this whole podcast yeah. but i mean and, that's, and that's a, the that that's the tragedy at the end. Oh, I yeah. I don't even think I don't even think Eli Sunday getting his ba- brains beat in is is that tragic. Mm. It's it's that's more of a relief. Yes, honestly. yes. That's <laughs> I'm done. That's man. the two devils coming to their yeah. logical conclusion, right? Yes. But when 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 Plainview drops the news on his son that he's he's a bastard and an orphan, it that's like that is the tragedy of the film yeah you know and especially because i felt more of this go around daniel actually has some pull towards family and connection with other human beings despite his words saying i can only see the evil the tenderness in the early stages or even wanting to take that son on whose whose father died in the oil well um, but then also when his supposed brother shows up and he and he lets him in a little bit just just on the premise that we're kind of related yeah so it's like there is a pull in him and and the the moment that really stuck out to me in this uh watch was after he kills the man pretending to be his brother he sits there and he's weeping and i don't Mm -hmm. think he's weeping because he killed someone right that's right that's not daniel i mean daniel is a cold-hearted man uh he's weeping because of I think he felt this deep betrayal and he's feeling the actual loss of a brother who died that he never got to meet. Well, and I, and I also think he's weeping because his suspicions rang true. Like he's, he's always been suspicious of others. He finally decides to let somebody in and his worst fears were realized. Yeah. You know? So I, yeah. I was going to say one of my, one of my favorite, moments this watch was just because you know prep for the pod watching video essays and just kind of thinking about the movie more than i would on a normal viewing but the um opening shot where he's hacking away at the the pit with his pickaxe and um 
you know, there, there's just like the way he frames up things. There's not a lot of quick shots. There's just slow tracking with it. And it really mirrors him digging the grave mm. for his non-brother. Yeah. It's with a pickaxe, signed with a shovel. And like a lot of the, the, the angles and framing he chooses to, uh, he chooses in that scene is like perfectly matching up with the beginning. Yeah. And so like the constant theme of there will be blood, there will be oil and just how synonymous they are. I was like, Oh man, what a great, you know, I always say on the pot a sandwich for the film. And and what I find really interesting is that opening, uh, the opening sequence where he falls, that's a real vulnerable moment for Daniel. And, and even before that, there's a shot of him like huddled up in a blanket uh, at the top of the hill um, at night. And there's just darkness all around him and it feels like this is a guy vulnerable to the the landscape but he's still he he still has this tenacity and grit and he's going to get through this and then what you're saying Mitchell all that's mirrored in the digging of the grave and then he Mm -hmm. is weeping he drinks himself to sleep and that is like probably his most physically vulnerable mo- moment in the whole movie where the right. old, he's surprised by Bandy. Yeah, old man Bandy up. shows yeah. up and is able to get a shot off to wake him up. And, and you see Daniel is so disoriented for about 15 seconds and then immediately moves into his good old gentlemanly, I have a let's make a deal kind of a thing. But there is there is a vulnerability there and it shows so infrequently throughout the movie that uh, it, it's just... It's such a, I think, really key pivotal moment in his descent into just complete corrosion and madness. Do you guys remember that quote from Mad Men? I, w- I was just looking it up. It's, I, it's probably my favorite scene of the entire series. I broke all my vows. I scandalized my child. Yes. I took another man's name and made nothing of it. I, oh my God. Season finale or series finale. Yeah, like that that just wrecked me. I mean, obviously Don Draper is not Daniel Plainview. He's, he's definitely coming to different conclusions. I was reminded of him in this movie though. Yeah. Mm. I had a couple moments of just the, uh, like moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> themes of Don. Yeah. Of just keep going. Yeah. Regardless of the madness around you and I, and the madness that you cause. I, I, th- I so resonate with, that theme of of abandoning children though like I, I i write about that a lot you know just i mean i think i mean we all have these i mean nobody has a perfect life with their parents and i i just think that the reason why don draper ultimately ends up being so we end up being so empathetic or sympathetic towards don is because we realize that what he has done to Sally, and and obviously this is revealed way earlier in the series, but what was done to Sally was done to Don, you know? And the way these curses keep going, they're Mm -hmm. perpetuated. And, but, but I, I see, I see kind of this resoluteness and obviously we don't know what happens to HW, but, I see a resoluteness yeah. to not be that. Yeah. Like when, when he's walking out of the study, even though his, his father t- rejects him, he rejects, yeah. openly rejects him. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's that, you know, you guys were talking about nature versus grace in the tree of life. Mm. 
episode, mm-hmm. it's like that is a moment where the animal is eating their young. Yeah. Right? That is mm, pure yeah. nature. There's no yep. grace involved. Right. This this predator has turned on his young and is consuming him, you know? And when when HW walks out of the room, I I see I see brokenheartedness, but I don't mm-hmm. see despair on his face. Yeah. Right. You know, I, even I remember he buttons his coat and it's such a like I'm still composed. Yep. Like I'm gonna take my stride. I think so. I think the sad irony of that last scene is, uh, is, is how grace-filled their relationship was from the start. Because ultimately, this was an adoption. Yeah. This was, I am. I have. I actually don't have any responsibility to care for you because it, you're just a, a baby of this man who died. And I, I think there's some opportunism in Daniel, but as we discussed, he has a real affection and tenderness for his adopted son. And adoption is such a parental relationship of grace because it is choosing on the part of the parent to say, "You are mine, and I, you, I am responsible for you, even if I don't have, even though I don't have to be." And then, but it makes the it makes the pain of the end. Uh, even even worse uh, mm. because because for for so long Daniel chose yes to his son and is now saying no absolutely not and I'm going to completely destroy any illusion you had about this relationship by telling you you're an orphan and and HW was an orphan before that moment but that was a moment where I think he becomes one fully his yep. adopted dad has said no you are you are we are done please leave yeah, because at the beginning of that speech, he says, "We are now competition. You are now my competition." Yes. yes. Yep. What severed? What about um? Well, back to the reasons why this film for me, anyways. Um, my my love or my draw, my fascination with religious ecstatic experiences, um, mm. is another reason why I love this film so much. Like. Uh, I last five years of my life, I've spent a lot of time just kind of like, I, I come from a Pentecostal charismatic tradition in my religious tradition. Um, and I have, I have kind of like this, uh, conflicted relationship with all of that now. Um, but, but within the last five years, I, I went to places of, of learning, uh, that were outside of my tradition um like snake handling like appalachian snake handlers Mm. you know these Mm. these pentecostal churches that literally take the those passages in the new testament about yeah if you if you take up these snakes and you're unharmed you know it's 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 faith it's like faith enacted it's proving your faith you know um there's there's actually a youtube channel called soft white underbelly do you guys know about this no Oh my gosh, it, it's it's this journalist and he does all of these interviews with people, um, ev- everyone from prostitutes in LA to opioid addicts in West Virginia to... Inbred family. Yes, inbred family. Wow. Yeah, you, you, did you find it? Yeah, that, that one hey, will make... That thumbnail stuck out to that me. That one will make your skin crawl, yeah. Um, oh my goodness. but there is one on snake handlers that just absolutely blew my mind. And, 
So in my religious tradition, there are some prominent metaphors that we we always talked about. And and I and I got some articulation from this recently from my friend Dr. Chris Green, but um I, I heard Chris Green talking about how in his Pentecostal holiness church, there were two main main metaphors that they discussed. It was hell, the fires of hell were the problem, and the blood mm. of Jesus was the answer. That yeah. was the whole equation, right? Yeah. That that was the whole of their their eschatology. It was yeah. the whole of their ecclesiology. The message. It was their gospel. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we have an issue, and the issue is we don't want to burn in hell for all eternity. Yeah. And and the answer is the blood. The blood, the yeah. blood. And um, so he he talks a lot about this blood mysticism. And I mm. and I listening to Dr. Green talk about this kind of I I you'll you'll hear this in some of my music and some of my songs. To be honest, like full disclosure, as like an evangelical Christian, I have never understood the mechanics of blood, the way shed blood works. Like blood atonement. Blood atonement with yeah. regards to me. Like I yeah. I get the theory of it. Yes. I under, I understand the theory of that. But, yeah. but but what I've seen that metaphor produce in people, like like if we're looking mm. at Eli Sunday as a archetypical ecstatic preacher, he is he is utilizing people's fear of hell to grow his movement. Yeah. So he right. he's in the middle of nowhere and he's got more of a movement than anybody in that area has probably ever had. He has he has right. figured out how to fill seats, how to take up offerings and more than that, how to have ecstatic experiences in the middle of all of it. Yeah. Right. 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 And so like obviously this is probably a whole nother podcast and we don't need to jump into it here. No, this is this purpose. But well, but for me, like I like I said before, I have such a conflicted history with yeah. my own Pentecostalism, right? right? And right. you see stories like this being told, and it makes you wonder, like, okay, I can't deny the ecstasies that I felt at one point in my life when mm-hmm. I was in right. when I was in a room with all of these people and and I being a member of an Eli Sunday's experience. Yeah, but I wouldn't. But to be fair to the places that I've existed, I can't say honestly that I've ever been like with a leader who was that. Yeah, messed messed up. Right, right, right. right. Not that. Yeah, yeah. But just just kind of that how like dark. all of that fear, that fear is is the main compulsion behind people's. Um, acting out in a certain way you know like eli's prancing around the stage and he's making he's making daniel plainview kneel and he's making daniel plainview shout i have abandoned my child yeah and he's slapping (laughs) him and it's like they're working there's a violence on stage yeah they're working they're working the spirit up right yeah and so oh gosh it I, I have no answers for any of this. This is just kind of right, this is just right. kind of the doorway that this film has opened for me, you know. And, and you were saying like you can't deny your reality in experiencing that thing, the things I can't. That you felt. Yeah. Yes. Right. But and the and, and at least for me in the conflict because I've I've had similar not 
I wouldn't say similar to the film, but similar um, experiences of that kind yeah. of expressive, charismatic worship. Yeah. Where I, I could absolutely not deny that. But like for me in youth ministry, because my primary, primary ministry right now is with youth, yeah. there's this temptation to create emotional experiences every week. Totally. Because youth especially, we're, they're just hyped up. And yeah. All the emotions are so heightened. And so it would be easy. It would be easy to do the... The, the, not, the not crazy version of the Eli Sunday thing every week with these students. But I actually recognize I don't think that would be healthy for them yeah. because I don't want to whip up their emotions and make them think that that's what all of this is about. And so I find a lot of my ministry ends up being like, hey, let's just like, let's calm down and then enter into a, a conversation or a small group or a teaching or whatever it is, rather than let's whip everybody up here. And I, I don't know if I'm right, but that's uh, in some ways a reaction. That's to why my you own. don't have a movement going on behind you. Yeah. Well, and, and then the difficulty really is, is that you don't want to head over into non-emotional ex- yes. expressions of, of Christian faith, right? Yeah. Because, because honestly, what I see Daniel Plainview approach product of, I mean, obviously he's been formed by the landscape. He's been formed by his own, um, uh, compulsions, but I see, I see Daniel as like the stoic Presbyterian, like even if, even if he only believed in God as a, as a, like a, a reasonable, um, social contract for the Mm -hmm. ongoing, uh, organizational idea of the species, He's coming from a non-expressive religious experience, like stoicism. Yes. Like at, at, I, I see it. I see it on his face. I see it in his body. You know, he's very uncomfortable sitting in that pew. Like yes. he, he's resisting it right away because it's foreign to him. Right? Yeah. But at and, the same time, he ha- he he is conversant in the language. He says, "Give me the blood, give me the blood, give like, me the blood," <laughs> <laughs> because there is such a ubiquitous aspect to Christianity of any stripe at that time, especially yeah. in American history. And yeah. so he he can enter into that, be uncomfortable with this his expression of it, but know the words to say because that's you know, and and I think it is for him. It's this stoic. We're gonna keep everything at arm's length. And that's a thing I put on the shelf when I need to drag it out when it benefits me. And I think we also see that interestingly in HW's marriage ceremony, which is in this very like stone cold, maybe Anglican Catholic church with stained glass. You you don't even hear the words the priest is saying. And and part of it is a beautiful scene is they're signing their vows to each other. Right. But that is, that stands in such stark contrast to the expressive emotional Eli Sunday, the third revelation church, the church of the third revelation, the church of the what third revelation. Man. And, <laughs> and I'm so fascinated that Daniel Plainview was willing to debase himself in that, in yeah. that situation. And, and, and obviously we see that later on with Eli Sunday, they're each willing to debase themselves to get what they need. Right. Yes, and right. It's a long game. It's the, it's it's long, the long game. game. And this is so funny. Like I think I, when he's sitting in that pew, and 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 uh, Eli Sunday starts eyes. working it up like like are is there anybody in here that needs to come to the altar you know I will cast it. right right I, oh wait that that's earlier that's well, earlier yeah. how many of us have been Daniel Plainview in that seat like somebody is like, oh, at the front 
and it's either it's an altar call or it's yep. a ministry time call and you're like in your mind you're like I don't want to go up there. I don't know these people. I and and then they keep talking and then eventually you go I'm just going to debase myself and do this. <laughs> I need some oil money. <laughs> I need some oil money. No, it's true. That no, that's that's funny, but it's true. Like we do yeah. deals, right? We do deals with God. There's, there's, yeah. there's some. There is a promise on the other end. Yeah, like you know? like there's some something that we need to like uh, get to the Cover altars. Our bases or something. Yeah. Like okay, yeah. okay, God, I'm gonna debate debase myself. I'm gonna go run to the altar. I'm gonna say I've abandoned my children. I'm going to confess my sins, but, but there's gotta be a payoff. Yeah. And, and, and the, the strangeness of the scene is they have kind of worked that out ahead of time and, or they had a conversation. And so it, it adds to the showiness of it where it could have just been a thing like, Hey, I've talked to uh, one of our local citizens, Daniel Plainview as a pastor. And he, you know, has come to me and wants to repent. So Daniel, come on up here. But instead, Eli's like, we'll make it part of our show and does the whole production around it to mm-hmm. create it, create the experience where Daniel can then do this and it looks organic. And it's, it's, it's even grosser that way. It reminds me of when Eli wants to bless the oil well. Oh, yeah. Oh. And then it's kind of a crux moment of like, see, everything that's bad yeah. that's ever happened to you is because you didn't let me bless it. You, honestly, you guys could start a whole podcast just on this movie. Like, there's. I was gonna say we have we have three podcasts coming out. That I'm like, we're gonna do a Mad Men one, just episode by episode. We've got the I mean the deep dive on this this film. There's so much symbolism in this film. It's just crazy. I I looked up I looked up oil derricks because I was like I realized I I've seen that kind of like that framework but i don't actually know how that works i don't actually know Mm -hmm. how that lifts what's happening oil even after watching the film i still couldn't tell anybody but um the entomology of that derrick definition is is actually it's equal to a gallows so like the first derricks that were built were gallows you know and i just thought dang which you you have a line about in your plug new album, <laughs> Poet Priest. <laughs> yes, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great album. I I love it. Thank you. It's it's, it's really good, Andy. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Poet so, Priest, right? Poet Priest, baby. Everybody, go check it out. Yeah, man. <laughs> we'll plug more stuff at the end. Yeah. But I just texted the the movie poster for this oh, the... to you, Andy, and Matthew. I think you've seen it. Yeah. Um, oh it's the, God. Oh, the cross oil. Oh, oh man! Do you never notice that? I've never noticed that before. Yeah, how that poster is. <laughs> I know. I showed it to Sarah last night. She's like, "Oh yeah, cool." I'm like, "Did no, did you, no, did no, you look no, at it? no." <laughs> and, and actually, and, she, what, and then she was like, "Oh my god!" It, it's even it's even a stronger metaphor because of what you just said of this this the etymology of this word being connected with gallows, and obviously that's what a crucifixion is. Yeah. I hate how good it it's is. So oh, good. Man. It's so deep. It's so deep. Speaking of wives, uh, I'm always curious the overlap here because Sarah watches every movie for the pod, so I break the premise every time mm-hmm. because she likes listening to mm-hmm. it. Is, is this movie? Is this saying Amy? Whatever. 
you know, no way. want to sit through. No way. Or what, what's her, what's her kind of, where's your guys' overlap in movie watching? So, so we have a terrible time finding things to watch together. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. There's, there needs to be, uh, I saw a tweet, it was Tinder, but like for movies, so you guys are swiping on them. And then when you both <laughs> land on one, That's it's like, okay. actually genius, right? I, I freaking love that idea. It's a great idea. We, we waste so much time searching oh, for something to watch, right? But uh, so British period pieces, we both love British period pieces. We can we can do that together. Um, nice. We were actually watching. This is this is stupid. This is cargo short territory. Uh, we're we're watching <laughs> Monk, the series Monk, right now. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it took us a little while to get into because it's a little bit like Scooby Dooish, like like <laughs> the, the the they always reveal how the murderer did the murder at the end, and it's it's yeah. But right, but yeah. the longer we've gone into the series, the more we just like the obsessive compulsive disorder joke mm. that's being played out through the entire thing. Yeah. Um. Mm. Yeah. So like. She got mad at me because I <laughs> I watched Lady Bird without her. So like that would be one we would we would watch. Okay. We could watch Lady Bird together. But but nice. I, but I tried to watch The Disaster Artist with her and she was like miss miss no. me with this. Like <laughs> big swing and a miss. Big swing and a miss. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. We, Lady Bird is a Hall of Fame for this pod. I, We've got in our Hall of Fame, Lady Bird, Parasite, probably Once Upon a Time blood. in Hollywood, and There Will Be Blood. Yeah, I, so. I, I did not think I would love Lady Bird as much as I, I did. I, I, I cried, I cried at yeah, it. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. And obviously, we have a, an extra notch with the, 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 the Sacramento the connection. Yeah. Yeah. The Sacramento of it all. Yeah. I, I Andy, just have you ever been to Sacramento, the greatest oh, yeah. city in the world? I'm, I'm from Northern oh. California. Yeah. I'm from oh, Santa great. Cruz. Yeah. Oh, so cool. I've, okay. I've spent, I've spent a decent amount of time in Sacramento. Yeah. <laughs> I've rolled through. I've rolled through. <laughs> heading, heading to the Sierras. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty so. much. We get it. <laughs> from what I hear, Charlotte is the Sacramento of the of the East. Oh no way, man! I, no way. I never hear no, that. No, <laughs> no. I mean, Charlotte. This is my complaint about Charlotte. I do love Charlotte. It's home. I've lived mm-hmm. here for 22 years, but yeah. um, but they the city planners knocked down all the old buildings, so everything is mm. new. Uh, yeah, they they hard. they got rid of all the, the vibe, all the ambiance, all of the. Yeah. It's it's like a gentrified city. But I think that that's kind of common in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, like historically speaking, after the Civil War, it took decades upon decades for the South to actually recover. And it wasn't yeah. until the 1970s that the Southeast even began to get get any traction at all. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, I remember being a kid. I I think I was in high school when the NBA expanded and they added the Miami Heat and they added the Charlotte Hornets. And yeah. I was like, what? You're like, Charlotte, what? Like I, I it wasn't on the my, where? I didn't know what that was, you know? Right. So hey, I got, I, I got one more question about the movie. Uh, yeah. I just want yeah. to pose and throw out, this is about the very end of the movie. Um, so maybe a good kind of landing place for our conversation. I, there is no landing place because this went in so many great directions, but uh, how do you take the final line of the movie, which is, his kind of manservant coming down, Mr. Plainview, and him just yelling, sitting next to uh, Eli's bashed-in body, I'm finished! 
it, it's very odd. It, it, and then the music cue is different from the rest of the movie. So there's like yeah. this strangeness about hopeful the last classical. I guess hopeful, uh, or like the the music hit yes, at the yes. end. It's very joyous. Yes, you know? yeah. Uh, ironically, and it just it feels it feels so right. I love it. But what's going on? That well, that's, that's what. Yeah. Well, the, it's it's the Christ. It's the Christ language, right? Yes. I mean, that's to me why that is so cool. Like, we've got these two devils that have. I mean, one is dead, but the other is finished, you know, like we, yeah. we don't know the outcome, but he is probably going to end up hanging, hanging on a gallows, right? Like yeah. he'll probably be on the end of one of his derricks. Yeah. Right. I mean, if justice right. is served anyways, I mean, may, yeah. maybe he's so devious. I mean, he's gotten away with murder before. Yeah. I guess that that is certainly right. a possibility, but I just think that line is like the perfect ending. It's like, it's so sacrilegious. It's so yes. heretical. It's, it's the devil using the savior's line. I just think it's, yeah. mm-hmm. but, but twisting it in a way I think about that. Um, I, I think about that saying of Jesus, right? The, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy almost this devouring language. Oh, man come on and for for the devil at the end to sit there and says i'm finished almost like i'm finished on, on my feasting and devouring and destruction well, at, and as he's talking with eli he's like gnawing on ribs <laughs> yeah. or something the the, the cold gross it reminds me of that painting where the like monster thing is yeah you, you guys know who I'm yeah, talking i know about? i know exactly what you're talking about I got. Yeah, so, a, I get it's like a so cave monster. I get hungry for steak when I watch that scene, man. Like when he's just <laughs> gnawing on like, that. That sounds so good. I literally got up and went into my uh, my refrigerator to look for like a piece of meat to eat. You know, <laughs> like, that's what I want to be. <laughs> it's the best thing ever when you're consuming the thing someone in the movie is eating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just love that. I mean, and and that the visceral chewing, gnawing on the steak, the the I'm finished with my feast of destruction and everything that I've wrought. And where Jesus saying it is finished on the cross is this: I have surrendered myself and allowed this to happen. And that's yeah. the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate uh, uh, act of of his ministry. And and the mm-hmm. devil saying, "I'm finished. I've destroyed everything that I've come for," and, and it's so, it, it feels so right. Yeah. yeah, and like you guys said before, that that music, that music outro is just a slap in Wild. the face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it yeah, it reminds me of uh, the Shining a little mm-hmm. bit, like the the terror strings yeah. and like the almost like yodeling that's happening. Yeah, and, and the similar like the opening shot in the Shining, like beautiful mountain vista. And then terror strings yeah. hanging out. You know, I, I I hate to go backwards a little bit, but I want to just say this one thing, just because I made made a note of this. I, I I think we can all agree that the landscape was one of the main characters of this yeah. of this this film, and not only was it this the the tension happening was not just man between man, but it was definitely man between the the world that he inhabited. You know. And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is air conditioning. I think about air conditioning all the time. And I think about how how Same the here. world the world has been people are formed by the world that they live in. 
and 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 the spaces that they inhabit become their interpretive lenses of of life and right. i think a lot of times why films like this are so powerful and important like let's just put some value on filmmaking as as yeah. a communicative device films yeah. like this are important because they cause us to realize the bias of our own interpretive lenses like yeah. like it's easy to come up with a uh prosperity version of god if you experience temperature controlled climate all the time <laughs> right when when you have supermarket food at access at your access everywhere you go like the entire Western United States was a food desert at this time. Yeah. You know, like yeah. they're not, they're not, right. they're not talking about um, the latest cocktails. They're talking about, we don't have enough water and soil to grow bread. Right. So yeah. I, I'm, I love this film because it helps bring me back as, as a, as a 21st century American mm. person, it allows me to realize that when I'm talking about life or when I'm talking about God, I have to be aware that that story, whatever story it is that I'm telling, is, yeah. is directly affected and influenced by the, the space that I'm, I'm traveling in. Yeah. You know? And, and, right. and it, you can waste a lot of time talking about is it nurture or is it nature or whatever i think it's i think it's a lot of that swimming together right it's not one or the other but i see these men in particular living their entire lives with no air conditioning with no easy access to food with no running water probably for the bulk of their life you know and i think yeah. all of that has an effect on their theology right yes it it, right, it has right. an effect on what they believe about the end and what you believe about the end directly affects how you treat people and how you view yeah. life in the here and now yeah right that's why i love I, this movie that's great it, make, it I, makes me it aware makes me, yeah yeah it reminds me of I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but you know, when he plain view first breaks his leg in the start of the movie and I obviously didn't, didn't notice it the first time watching it, but like he's, he hobbles the rest of the movie. Like he has got that, like, uh, you know, staggering to him and it, it just kind of the, I'm trying to figure out the best way to frame this, but like if you've never have to have broken your leg or had the thorn in your side or been hobbled by life, as you're going through it and then your worldview being like, well, like it shouldn't be so difficult or it shouldn't be however you want to that initial like forming of his character of like getting past regardless of the like beating that you take along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I, I, I love the way Andy, you're talking about the, the way place and culture and all of that and, and time and, and history shape theology because one of the things that i thought about a lot in this movie and and the air conditioning thing especially there's that scene where he's in the realtor's office and they're both just like sweating but they're like in an office and i think about like if i worked in a real estate office today it would be the cushiest place in town yeah yeah but 
I thought about a lot about Africa. I thought a lot about, um, so we adopted our son from Ghana and mm. um, my wife lived there for three years while we were trying to adopt him and I went back and forth. So the I've abandoned my boy thing, like that I, that was literally Daniel Plainview screaming in my head every time I had to get on a plane and leave Africa. Wow. <laughs> uh, but, uh, which is probably why I've avoided this movie for some time, but the the Too much. Church of the Third Revelation is what, I saw in modern day Ghana uh, mm. in, in a lot of places. Yeah, and 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 there's a lot of really great, amazing churches um, all, all over all over Africa, and, and amazing you know native indigenous ministers and 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 all of that. But yeah. there were definitely churches that we saw that were this kind of whipping up emotions, and and it's interesting because I think now over there it's this strange combination of an exported Western American prosperity gospel, yeah, mixed in with what we see in this movie, which is this: yeah. the the landscape is hard and life is hard, and we don't have air air conditioning. You know that not, not that people are consciously thinking that, but there is this right. burden uh, burdensomeness to to daily life. There's just a different pace, a different um, a different hardness, and, yeah. and 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 we sat in those churches in villages in Africa in Ghana that were that did not look that far from what we see in this movie. In fact, we're singing the same hymns about the blood of Jesus because wow. we exported all of those. Yeah. And the same kind of ecstatic, we're going to cast the demons out of here. And and it it's not, hey, maybe we're going to do this because we feel led, but this is the centerpiece of the service. Right. And and so I, I was... I, I was struck so much by how, and this was again, t- like I think landing on your the value of filmmaking and what it speaks to us. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, the, the last time I watched this, this movie would never make me consider the theological implications of the church in Africa. <laughs> but because I've I've had an experience, and that this that this movie again feels so disconnected from but actually is speaking to now i'm now i'm taking what i'm considering with there will be blood and and what i've been wrestling with theologically philosophically mentally with what i witnessed in africa for so many years and bringing these things together and and they're informing each other like that's the power of this crazy movie because mm. it it shouldn't be able to do that but of course it does well, that's why we need great storytellers. Yeah. You know, that's why we need great, uh, you know, I, I'm obviously I'm, I'm in Christian spaces mostly with what I do. Yeah. And so I'm constantly pleading with people to just make great art because yeah. stories help us, good stories help us understand our lives and, and good stories include violence and cussing and sex and all kinds of difficult nuanced tensions and um which is really hard for people in christian spaces it is it's very interesting i i i kind of can't figure out why this is so yeah Um, but and the irony of the bible containing all that stuff right and yet we're so fearful of it. Yeah, we probably has something to do with money, but sure. That, that's like the that's the <laughs> easiest critique, and, and I'm not saying it's not warranted, but I but I have this sneaking suspicion that there's there's deeper issues with us. Like yeah. I, I the money side is real, but I have the sense that people 
are afraid. Um, I, I don't know if Jared told you guys about his, um, his film, Single White Male. Have, have you guys seen it? I, I haven't seen it. I don't know if Mitchell's seen it. Oh my gosh. It's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah I, I've seen it's it. It's horrifying, right? Wait, are you talking about Single White Male or Pray for the Children? Uh, which, is, which is the story about the, the dude that kills his mom? That's pray for the children. That's pray for the children. And then single white male. I think he took some extra footage and kind of okay reworked a well, separate thing. <laughs> Hold on, I'm changing. Room. Well, either way, either way, I like. I mean, Jared's. I I don't want to speak for Jared. He's the reason why I love Jared's work so much is because he's he's a person rooted in faith, but yeah. he's just making great art. Yeah, like that's he's taking chances. He's taking risks. And he's not trying to toe the line, the company line, by making everything just fit into these neat little Christianese boxes, you know. And and so that's what I mean. I love that you guys are doing this podcast because I think, I mean, guys, guys like me, guys like Jared, uh, and obviously folks like yourself. It's like it gives me hope that there are there are people that are thinking about this stuff and and pushing into it. You know, like yeah. expand. I, I talk all the time about expanding the aesthetic, expand yeah. the aesthetic, mm. expand the vocabulary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had, a, I had a friend of mine when I was in college, and I knew him through through ministry. We were both involved in, and we were talking about a movie. Oh, it was, I, I it may have been like No Country or There Will Be Blood because it was around that time. I said, Oh, I saw this movie. He's like, Oh, I don't watch R-rated movies. And I said, Oh, okay, I do. He says, Well. The Holy Spirit will convict you of that someday. I'm like, right. Oh. Uh, okay, well, in the meantime, I'm going to continue to do it. Yeah. but I'm so thankful he has it <laughs> yeah. yet. It's so fun. But there was such a, there, there's such a, that's so off limits that I, I'm just not even going to come near it. And, and like personal choice and, and I, I don't know what was behind that for him. And so I don't want to deride that decision, but I would never impose that on anyone else. I would never... I would never yeah. say, boy, you. this is the rule you got to follow. Because for me, I really encounter God in things like this, in in really right. challenging ways, but uh, undeniably, I'm encountering, I'm, I'm encountering the, the, the spirit of who God is in these stories. I, I, fe- I feel like in the two scenes that, 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 that Mad Men scene, I felt like yeah. I encountered God. I, yeah. I, I began weeping when I, when I heard mm-hmm. that confession and then yeah. I, I was just awestruck at there will be blood, like, especially this time around watching it, yeah. just feeling the pleasure of God through this story. And yes. And, um, I think, I think also now, right now, uh, we're in such a unique moment where the ubiquity of deconstruction within yeah. within mm. with Christian s- subculture yes. is so prominent that I don't think that we're we will be able to find our way t- to a reasonable faith without these kinds of stories. Yes, mm. and when I say reasonable, right. I don't mean dry and boring. I mean, yeah, I mean a grace oriented gospel where where people aren't being their behavior is not being manipulated and they're, mm-hmm. they're not, right. their money's well, not being stolen from them. And you know, all, you know, all the stuff that we witness yeah. in Christian world. Yeah. 
I was just going to say, I feel like a lot of the language I hear even around what Matthew's saying about like, ah, I just don't touch that stuff is like, oh, you don't know what you're opening yourself up yeah. to. Like, and it's really vague, spiritual, right? you know, spirit world talk. And it's kind of what you were saying earlier, Andy, of like that currency of fear. Yeah. And like, we're, like manipulation control you in all these like even subtle ways of whether it's certain music or movies versus being having, having the openness to like, I'm going to feel something for a while. Well, and, and the truth like, is there's a spectrum. There's a, there's a taste spectrum. So not everybody's going to like Paul Thomas totally. Anderson and not everybody's going to like Andy Squires. I mean, not to put myself on the same level, but like, <laughs> but, like yeah, close, but Hey, we're here. But the, well, the artistic choices that we make, yeah. we realize right. that some people are just going to be put off and that, and that's yeah. totally okay. Right. But like the idea of, you know, watching There Will Be Blood is going to open some yep. dark, yep. ominous cloud of, yep. you know, like a curse on That's me. Not even. That's yeah. not real. And to, yeah. To have like a, you know, pull towards greed or violence, you know. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. I, I, it pulls I, me with, toward a Daniel Plainview impression, but otherwise. Uh, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I, I was yeah. just telling them, my wife, we were, we were on a walk the other day and I was remembering, uh, th- this goes to your point about like, like clouds or curses or demons mm-hmm. that we can open ourselves up to. I, mm-hmm. I don't know about any of that. Like, I don't know about demons or whatever. I, yeah. like, I know there are people who talk about that. <laughs> Be stuff. hilarious if your head just started spinning. <laughs> yeah, you're saying. <laughs> you know, well. I get that there is vernacular <laughs> around that whole world. Yeah. I understand that. I'm not well versed in it. I don't want to give myself to it. But I will say when I was in high school, I read over the summer between my junior and senior year, I it was when I first read Dostoevsky and I started with Crime and Punishment. And I definitely felt the dark cloud coming over me. <laughs> You're like, dude. But, You're like walking, right? Walking down the street, like, uh, well, someone watching me. It was, but it was more of like, I think it was a combination of being 17 years old and listening to Morrissey all summer long, and you know, <laughs> like, like com- combined with the story of this murder and this cover up and all of the stuff right. that goes with that. So, like, it's not that. It's not that we consume art and are and are unaffected by it. Like there's always some kind totally. of force that works its way into us. I just think it's a mistake to say totally. it's a demon well, or whatever. You know. Let me ask you this, because I I get I okay, crime punishment's a great example. I'm reading that, and for like I'm having the sense of like. Like basically what it's doing is making me picture myself being that character yeah. and like what it would take for me to do that. Yeah. And sometimes I feel this like, like, uh, Sarah's really into, um, like murder podcasts. Yeah. Like most, uh, most women are <laughs> just kidding. Okay. I mean, like, you know, so she's really into, and I hate them because I just picture it happening, you know, but then I go on some sick binges of like reading the Wikipedia breakdown of some of these serial killers and it makes me feel like a serial yeah. killer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, why do I feel some guilt or, you know, like, like it's, I'm reading about me in, in this a little bit. And I think that's well, I th- like, it's similar with crime and punishment. It's like, ah, I feel kind of like this character. Well, I think there's just certain things that you watch that you need to take a shower afterwards. Right. So like I, I could never have the office cleanse. Yeah. I could never watch Dexter. You know, like I tried mm. to watch Dexter. I could not do it. It was not, 
it 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 felt it felt more gratuitous than I was comfortable yeah consuming you know I mean like I they yeah it just was too much for me so I'm not saying I'm not saying there's not uh, the need for some type of filtration in our yeah right. in what we're consuming uh, I just think it's I think it's wider than what most Christians have has been espousing yeah. you know right and, and I or think that can it's be not as forever affecting right like yeah maybe it's okay to deal with that dirt yeah. for a bit yeah you know and come out the other side of it yeah and i think it, it it's it's rooted in where am i at and how is this affecting me mm-hmm. um and and being being able to be mature and discerning and be able to make that choice um, well like like jared's a classic example i'm sorry i keep bringing jared up but we're we're buddies, so we we talk we're about big this. fans. We so talk about this stuff. But Jared, speaking of, he's doing he's doing a horror list. Well, for us I was to gonna watch, say so he's, Jared's the he's ultimate guilty. horror fan. Like I, <laughs> I can never. That is just never gonna be my cup of tea. Like yeah, right. I love Southern Gothic shit all day long. Like like that's <laughs> why I love There Will Be Blood. I love Shirley yes. Jackson. I love Flannery O'Connor. Flannery yeah, O'Connor. Maybe that's why it's all Flannery O'Connor. Yeah, right. So like you that that kind of violence, I am I am here yeah. for it. Sign me up. Take my Stand money. With. Right. But I can't do. I can't do the Saw series. I can't yeah. do anything like that. Now, The Shining, yeah. I, I love The Shining. That was a great film. Like, Right. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's like, fantastic. Uh, even outside of horror yeah. movies. Yeah, well, doesn't it stand up as a film? Like, it's, it's yeah. I don't even know if it's, it's a, horror a horror film, movie, right? Really. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, we each have what we're capable of, and Jared yeah. just happens to love horror films, and so... <laughs> You know, more power to him. You know, <laughs> he, he says the feel. Say, he says the same thing. He's like, I really experience God when I'm watching you know, <laughs> these bones being sawed. But, but I think, and I, I'll just we can kind of close this. The conversation. carpentry man. <laughs> we can close this conversation here because Mitchell, you said how you read these Wikipedia pages and you feel filthy about it, and 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 I think for me, it's it's often stories like this or or that kind of content holds up a mirror mm-hmm. to myself. And, and right. it kind of forces me to say, what in this do I have? And how close or right. how far from like a Daniel Plainview? Because there's, mm. there's a lot of it. He's, he's got this incredible magnetism about him. He's got this charisma. He is just so uh, capable of engaging with people and bringing them along. Yeah. And there's a reason this movie has the trope of like men love this movie. Yeah, because I like Daniel Plainview. And yeah. I I will watch it the over and over it because I want him to be redeemed at the end, and I know that's not going to happen. And it's the it's similar to and, and I'll just speak to it because I'm of the world that I'm in. But this the the podcast right now that's profiling Mark Driscoll and the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I don't know if you've listened at all, Andy. I have. Um, yeah, and it's like we talk about it every week at our church staff meeting. We talk about the new episode and. Yeah. It doesn't feel like we talk about it in this gossipy, exploitive way. Which no. I think you could. For us, it is like, boy, we, we're looking around at our staff. We're like, we're all... Just me. <laughs> this, this is obviously not us, but what things and what cultural things have we developed that are not healthy, that we want to be aware of? And, and it is putting a mirror up to ourselves and saying, boy, we clearly don't want to be like this. So can we identify the things that are going to get us down the road to this really dark place? Because, uh, I, 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 yeah. 
that that reflection we need that so badly right yes. now at this moment. I mean, I sorry to get niche with your audience here, but like within the church, that yeah. that that need for reflection is is we it's more than it's ever been before. Probably, I mean, with the I with the I I don't know. I I think the moment is unique because because we have forty years worth of mega church growth mm-hmm. in in American fundamentalism, and now. Now we have the fruit of that harvest and it's, and it's Mm. rotten and everyone's spinning out. And I just think if we're going to, if we're going to survive, which I'm not even, I'm not even sure that we should, the church should survive this, but um, if we're going to survive, we're not going to be able to do it without a really decent amount of self-reflection and confession and repentance and all of that stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and story Eli Sunday wasn't. Yeah, but stories like "There Will Be Blood," uh, they I think prime the pump in some ways for for us mm. to be able to have that. the 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 Mars Hill podcast is like the real life version, and it's oh, even scarier. Gosh. <laughs> uh, but but if we How if we're if we're engaging yeah. <laughs> if we're engaging in this, these stories, I think when we have to do the self reflection, we're, we're we're more capable. We're we're yeah, not that I. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to hold up movies as this the most important thing in the world, but I think they have tremendous value. I'd love to hear PTA's reaction to "There Will Be Blood" being compared to Marcel. <laughs> <laughs> but that. but even I mean the the record, the audio clip they play over and over and over again is Driscoll saying, "I got I fired a bunch <laughs> of elders yesterday. Their bodies behind the bus of our and, church." And by the grace of right. God, it'll be a mountain by the time we're through. Yes. There's a pile I, of bodies, and by the grace of God, it'll be a mountain. Oh, oh my God! There, there will be blood indeed. <laughs> that is not blood. Daniel yeah. Plainview. Wow. I don't yeah. know what is. What a full circle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Interesting. Put a stamp on it. I know. That's it. Love it. Andy, Love it. We don't want to take too much time. <laughs> the last thing we do at the end of the episode is segments, which is just rapid-fire, like, couple questions about the movie nice. if that's if that's yeah cool. yeah if i got anything else to say i'm not sure i do but yeah this is excuse me a damn fine couple segments so our first segment is favorite shot favorite single shot from the movie oh um, that's easy oh heck yeah yeah, yeah. start us off yeah so my fr- my favorite shot is when eli eli is walking down the hill and there's the there's the little lake of oil and, oh, and, and oh he's gosh. walking I rem- out yep. to – you don't even know who the individuals are that are standing out on the plane. And he walks out. He And the angle looks like he's about to fall in. Yes. It. And then he stands yeah. in front of Daniel Plainview, asks for his money, and then Daniel Plainview drags him over to the oil lake and beats his butt. Like that That, <laughs> that whole – there's no cuts. It's, it's just one long extended view. That's my shot of the film. You're like, yeah, I got that one. Yeah, I remembered that specifically. This one, I'm like, oh, this reflection and the things that are happening here, I didn't notice at first. Yep. And mine's similar, yeah. so I'll just jump on mine. Mine changes, and it's it's hard not to just do the pluming fire, yeah. you know, smokestack. But uh, there's one at the near the beginning when HW, his dad is still alive, and he's holding him, and they're pouring a bucket of oil into the the oil pit, and he's holding him over it, and they're both looking down into it, mm. and it's just like the the 
the oil pits taking up almost the whole frame they're just on the corner and it's like the blackest darkest pit of hell and this like sweet yeah. baby and father just staring yeah. into it and it just hit different yeah. this time so that that's mine or at least it yeah. was this time around yeah i'm with you it changes all the time i think about this shot was interesting my favorite because it's not one that i think of when i think of the movie when i think of the movie i think of daniel sitting there with hw behind him doing his presentation i think of that kind Mm. of stuff but this and this is maybe not fair it's a two shot it's i can't remember exactly when in the movie it is but the camera is coming up on daniel and he is sitting there kind of probably looking at a sunset so he's super well lit and there's like this warm light on him it's like twilight as he's yeah, it's like twilight, and he's sitting there on like a deck of like an unfinished house and kind of relaxed, and because he's kind of looking at the work of his hands, he's the oil is in production in in the town, and there's a warmth and a glow of the light, and then it cuts from that to well, he gets Eli, his little telescope out, and he, and he gets his telescope out because he's over. like scoping out. I'm assuming Eli. That's what the way the filmmaking makes me think. Cuts to Eli at a totally different time of day in pacing back and forth in the under construction church building and eli is completely in shadow so there's nothing over the church i i i take it as him like almost like muttering like Mm. trying to figure out what he's going to say to daniel to get money or something he's scheming and he's in total darkness and everything behind him is light and all this light coming on the the lumber of the, the church but he is in total darkness and i love it because again it's it's PTA constantly playing with who's good and who's bad, who's light and who's dark. And I actually think they're both pretty twisted devils as we've had in this conversation. But he's framing us to, uh, 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 he, I think he's really centering Eli as a villain very quickly mm-hmm. and does Setting that visually up. really well. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, next segment is, I always forget them. What are they? It's our letterbox okay. rating. Andy, do you know what letterbox is? No, I keep I keep hearing you guys use that phrase. It's a social media app, but it's just for logging and rating movies. Okay. And um, so, like people like us and Jared live on okay. it because it's like you write your review too. It's like Twitter, but only for movies. Okay. And they they have a five star system, so we just ask your letterbox review basically. What's your what out five of five star? What's your yeah. out of five? Oh, out of five. This what's is your, a five. Five out of five. Easy. Yeah. yeah Hands yeah. down. Pretty much. We're all in agreement <laughs> yes. there. Not much of a segment <laughs> yeah. this round. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, a new one we just introduced is Unsung Heroes, mm. which I love. And I'll explain. It's just like little, just little blips of a, you know, scene or reaction or something that no one talks about, or it could even be credited on IMDb. That's like a great moment. Um, do you have an Unsung already, Matthew? Mm, no, I don't. Okay, I'll go with one. I'll go with the um, the horse that stands with him in that field of green when he's like eyeing things out and leveling things, and it's all of a sudden like a Visco Instagram image versus you know kind of that Dust Bowl aesthetic that we've been talking about. So I'll go with yeah. That, that. Yeah, it is. It's really different. Yeah, I'll go with that horse, and then I'll go with the accountant that's like always sweating. 
<laughs> the yeah, realtor guy. Yeah, like he doesn't get enough love in this thing. He's great. My unsung hero is the uh, manservant in the Plainview mansion. Oh, that's who, a good one. <laughs> who basically uh, shuffles around following Daniel. And, and, and is unfazed face. by the bleeding out body <laughs> of Eli Sunday. Completely, completely unfazed. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. I think my unsung hero is the character played by, I just looked up his name. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Kieran Hines. He's he's um he's Plainview's yeah. right hand man. Oh yes. yeah, and he's he's the one who keeps HW on the train. Yes, and he's actually a powerhouse actor. He he's in yeah. a lot of films, and and in most films he's in, he is either well he's usually got a lead role, and I think he right. has like three lines in this whole film. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he's he's always on the side of a scene. The restraint. Yeah, there's there's a tremendous amount of restraint, and uh, but it's like he's this conflicted character where you know he's done a lot of really bad stuff for Daniel Plainview, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. like like if I I've always thought of that guy as like if he if Daniel Plainview needs somebody killed that he's just not got enough time to do himself he's asking this guy. But cuts that guy in like gloves. Yeah, but then this, but then he's also the one who takes care of HW, and and yeah. there's a couple of times when you can tell that Plainview is abandoning his son, and the Kieran yeah. Harris, uh, or Hines character is kind of like he's not saying words, but he's pleading with his eyes, like, "Hey, mm. you should take care of this kid because he's precious," you know. Right. But he never does. He never. He never pushes through and that. we see what happens when people tell him how to raise his family we so. see what happens <laughs> yeah yes and, and but that actor he has such a presence he does even not yeah. having any lines just being in the corners of yeah. the frame yeah That's he's good. got that he's got a face of the time he really does it, you yeah. Know? Yeah, I'm, yeah yeah I'm looking at him now he's quite extraordinary actually apparently there's only like two scenes in the whole movie that don't have daniel Plainview in them yeah. Like he is in every yeah. freaking scene. Yeah. It's yep. crazy. And no yeah. women. Hey, so. listen, I know you guys are trying to wind this down, but I was I had this thought earlier and I just want to say yeah. say this one thing, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry, I apologize. You guys can edit this no, out. No, no. No, Andy, we could go okay. on forever. We're trying to wind okay. this down yeah. for your sake. So yeah. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis, best actor of our generation. Yeah. His his role in my left foot was what got him his first Oscar. Like he has done so much great work, but to me, this, this character was what I needed from Daniel again at Daniel day Lewis after Scorsese's gangs of New York. York. Cause like, I just thought, man, that was like, that was like a cartoon, you know, like that felt like a cartoon. Yes. And, and so, I'm only bringing this up because I, when that, when that film first came out, I loved it. I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. And then I watched it again this year and it's garbage. I, 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 <laughs> I think it's garbage. And I think, I think that the bill, the butcher character is so far over the top. Everything in that is like a trope. The, the hats alone, the hats alone, man. <laughs> I, I had never seen it. I tried watching it like three years ago. I was like, this is a not for me movie. <laughs> <laughs>
Daniel Day Lewis is the best part of the movie, but yeah. that's not saying a lot. No, <laughs> he does not. a lot of he does even more squinting in that one than he does in <laughs> it's the movie. <true>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyways, Andy, while we're on the the topic, uh, have you seen Phantom Thread? His, I haven't. his retirement movie. It's on my list. Oh, is it so good? And P- it's PTA and yeah. Daniel. I've heard. I've it's heard a, I love best it. things yeah. about it. I yeah. can't wait. Yeah, and yep. and Greenwood's on the soundtrack oh, again. So it's basically yes. there will be blood too. Yeah, yeah that's but one of my most designer. listened to uh, soundtracks. Um, I, I remember when I watched it. My wife was in Africa, so I was going to movies a lot by myself and. I watched it and I told Mitchell and Sarah, I said, you guys have to see this. We're going to go see it together. And I really thought I'm overhyping this. Yeah. Like this is a movie about a British dress, dressmaker in the fifties. I'm, they're going to hate yeah. this, but no, we, like it was just it's amazing just experience. Just and he's good. amazing. And I'm just desperate for PTA to say, Hey Daniel, do you want to come out of retirement and make another movie? Like, I'm still making let's... movies. <laughs> Seems like you should too. <laughs> Don't you love it when that happens, when you fall in love with something and then you, you give it to somebody else and they love it too. Like it's so it's the oh, best. Yeah. yeah. It's the best. God. Like I hate it when I, I yes. show somebody something and they're like, eh. Yeah. You're eh, like watching them react to it. You're like, hey, have you seen this? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> They're like on their phone. They're like, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's showing Sarah an album. Like, do you hear that snare? It's insane. <laughs> She's like, I could not care any less. Yeah. But uh, okay, real quick, last segment is just what other movies we've been watching, or if you have anything that you've like really liked lately and want to recommend to people. Uh, can somebody else answer first? Because I I know I have this. I just have to pull it up. I don't know. I don't think because we recorded uh, our episode between Jared and this one just a couple days ago, and I think I blew through all mine on that pod. So yeah, we I don't talk, know. we we gave a lot of um, watched movies on that one. I I I'll, I can say one. Um, also, yes. I just want to plug Paddington again because oh, I haven't that watched that yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we watched it for the first. This time This is the demographic they're going after. Oh, us I on this pod. <laughs> That movie is a delight. Uh, can't wait to watch Paddington 2 with my seven-year-old. Um, I watched Harlan County, USA, which is a documentary from the 70s um, by... Uh, the Ombre. name is... Yeah, uh, yeah, Barbara Koppel, and she went into um, this kind of mining town in Kentucky, in Harlan County, Kentucky, in 1973, when the mine workers went on this uh, pretty famous strike. And she just, uh, it's, it's very verite style documentary. There's no interviews really that are kind of no narrator guiding you along. It's just, she's there in the middle of it and it's very 1970s. So love, love the hair, love the fashion, but it's also, uh, just appropriate to this movie that we're talking about because it is a coal mining town and the way that these coal miners, you know, are basically forced to live in extreme poverty and these corporations that are taking advantage of them and exploiting them and not taking care of them and that kind of fight as a as workers to be taken care of um and it's it confronts a lot of the themes that that i think are present in there will be blood that we didn't really talk about things like um just capitalism in the united states and and consumer consumerism and production and, and 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 that and 
really good documentary. I was I was just struck by it as a kind of cultural artifact of, of the 1970s. And I mean that in a good way. I think we say cultural artifact sometimes in a condescending way, but this was, yeah. um, it, it was really good. Yeah. Nice. I must be on a religion kick because the film that I, I would want to recommend is Minari. Oh, oh heck yeah. yeah. Have y'all watched we it yet? It, we did an episode. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, never mind then. Like months ago. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. I mean, it, it, it's... Yeah, speak to I, it. I love crying at movies. This was a movie I wept at. <laughs> um, wow. I, the thing I appreciated it more than anything, well... It's the opposite of PTA's There Will Be Blood because he's he's yeah. got archetypes yeah. of religious people, right? Yeah. And it was so subdued in Minari. And 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 yes. there were even Pentecostal manifestations in the film. But, yes. but the filmmaker is treating those people with so much love and respect. Yeah. Dignity. Dignity. My heart was soaring. Yeah. I mean, and, and then the other very refreshing um thing about that film is that you see a minority family moving to the south and you're you're like you're you're gripping your chair going oh god this is yeah. going to be about race relations <laughs> like this is going to be mm -hmm. the about these these ignorant southerners who've never seen korean people before and they're just going to treat yep. them like garbage right and right. and it's like a totally different it's it's not yeah. it's not right white. there's like there's a whiff of that but that's it, it's the characters that's not all they well, are it's not whitewashing life in the rural southeast no, right. but it's it's also another speed of the story where i mean yeah. it, it's like they've got their crazy pentecostal friend who needs a job and helps them in the garden and then they got their baptist southern baptist community that kind of brings them in and it, it feels just as weird yeah. they might may as well be at a pentecostal church because it it feels just as foreign to them yeah. right but yeah. but none of it is is treated heavy heavy handedly or nope. just no condescension. They, it, it subdues your expectations for like they set you up like oh gosh the crazy religious guy he like I got the sense that he was gonna like hurt one of the children yes. or something. Isn't that what you were yeah. waiting and for? Then, yes. Yeah, yes. it's like oh like you have all these what every movie does yep. expectations yep. and then they treat everyone with a sense of like complexity. Yep. Like they're more than just that, you know, it, it, even like at, at the church they go to and the little white girl at Sunday school oh. makes like some stupid statement about like the Korean language yeah. or something. And you're like, OK, this is what this is. We're going to sit through 20 minutes of this. Yeah. And they're like, all right, let's be friends. Yep. Like <laughs> it was so beautiful. And there's just yeah, there's a sweetness to that movie. I loved I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny. I was randomly thinking about that movie, too, while watching There Will Be Blood. Mm. Probably just the setting. A little bit, but yeah, that, that it's, hole, it's, it's, it's the, the your same favorite PTA, shot, sure. Mitchell, your same favorite shot. It's because they're digging for wells. Oh, wow. Whoa. Yeah. My favorite shot oh. from, wow. So <laughs> the connection guy, uh, my favorite shot, Andy from Minari is uh, Jacob and his son in that pit and they found it and they're like, you're like, yeah, we'll celebrate. Yeah. And he's like, Woo! but it's like an angle, like top down. Yeah. And he, Jacob's in the pit and then his son's looking down. Yeah. So literally same shot from uh There Will Be Blood. That is this shot from There Will Be Blood. Maybe I need to be like praying about like <laughs> that metaphor or something. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, awesome. Well, Andy, thanks so much for your generosity with your time oh, and being on. This was so fun. This is I could do this for weeks. 
Yes, oh, more on. than anything, thank you for a reason to watch There Will Be Blood. There you go. My pleasure. <laughs> exactly. Um, Andy, while you're here, plug plug it all. Yeah, plug yeah. everything you got going. I know you got a lot, so what, what's what's the latest? What can people oh, go check out? Oh, you're talking about with, with what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Where, know, where can people follow you? What yeah, so they... you can follow me on Instagram. That's probably the best place if you really want to follow what I'm actually doing. Um, uh, my name is spelled... S-Q-U-Y-R-E-S. So if you're looking up Andy Squires, it's it's funky. It's S-Q-U-Y-R-E-S. But I've got a couple records on Spotify that I think if you if you like PTA, you'll like my music. So um, 100%. yeah, if you like uh, anything that's um, hard to listen to, I'm your guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you uh, also have a book in the works. I have a book, I I have a book in the works, uh, oh, cool. kind of a, like a glorified uh magazine coffee table thing that's gonna have packed with compelling images and um these i call them mini essays about life and god and how is this is this similar to the stuff you're doing on instagram it's it's exactly that yeah it is okay yeah it's exactly that so uh yeah we just kind of got the we 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 noticed some traction on instagram people like hey put this in a book. We'll, you know, we'll buy it. And so yeah. we just kind of Mitchell and I just kind of got together and just started, you know, visioneering. And, um, I've, I finally seen the first layout of it and it's going to be, it's so bananas. It's like oh, the images awesome. that these guys, I love the stuff. Yeah. I love the stuff. And I, I love the, your writing mm. on those posts. They, they, yeah. they do feel like little devotionals. And, and I mean that in like a, in a, I don't know, sometimes even devotional feels like a trite word. No, but, I get it. Uh, yeah. You're living yeah. up to the poet priest name. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. the point, I guess, I mean, not to beat a dead horse or anything, but like the work that I feel called to in my own life. <laughs> is it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the work that I feel called to is actually why I would do a podcast like this with y'all because I, yeah. I, I feel very, um, I don't know, persuaded – by the story of Christ. And I, I want to convince people that they, I mean, rise and fall of Mars Hill is like such a moment for us right now. Cause it's, it's like a, it's a point of conversation for all of us right now. But what I'm witnessing is I'm witnessing people go through trauma like that. And then, and then the only other option that they see is to abandon faith. Right. So it's like, yes, here's the evangelical church. It's it's a total mess. It's led by snake oil salesmen and abusers. And which isn't actually the truth. There's there's a lot of really wonderful people in the evangelical church. But to me, I'm trying to express or use language that convinces people to stay with Christian faith. But yeah. abandon that former tired and weary aesthetic. I'm, I, that's, yeah. that's what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm trying to make space for yeah. people to do that. You know, love it. So, anyways, yeah. well, thank you, thank you for for your ministry in that way. Thank Seriously. you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, it's it's important. Thanks for having uh, me on really here, vital. you guys. It's been super yeah. fun. 
Of course. Here we, are. we were stoked when you said yes. And we'll have to do the Ele- Elephant Man 2 at some yeah, point. Yeah, at some point. Because I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Can't wait till you but, guys watch um, that. I've never seen it. Oh, I'm ready. Wow. I know. Neither. Like, I'm a big Lynch guy, and I, I still haven't seen that one, which seems crazy. But <laughs> You're going to love it. I'll need an excuse to watch it soon. But All right. Thanks, Andy. All right, guys. Hey, special thanks again to Andy for being a part of our conversation today. Really grateful for his generosity with his time and uh, just his insights. I, I just love this conversation. And I think I, I think I kind of speak for both of us, Mitchell, when I say this is kind of the reason we wanted to do this podcast. Yeah, I mean, it, it's getting to the point where I'm just, let's just have every single one of our friends or family members <laughs> get on and just do a deep dive on their favorite movie. Yes, it, it reveals so much about them, and I, I I love getting to know people on that level. Yeah, like my go-to uh, get to know you questions. I feel like are always like top five movies, top five yeah. albums, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, you know, when I was in high school, my youth pastor used to say, "You you, you should ask somebody their favorite movie because it tells more about them as a person than almost anything you could ask." Wise words, and I think to some degree that does hold up, and uh, I, I think it is something fascinating about the three of us, you, me, and Andy, that there will be blood is a top five movie for all of us, <laughs> and also you know Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> That's oh, right. Sorry. Stop giving a hard time about that. Um, but yeah, so hey, if you haven't yet, go listen to Andy's albums. Both of them are just, both of them are just top tier albums for yeah. both of us. Yeah, I always say I've been listening to Poet Priest, you know, just kind of on and off throughout the year since it came out. And I was listening to it a bunch this week, and it spurred some really interesting conversations with my seven-year-old, because I just kind of had it on in the car. We were driving someplace, and he's, you know, he never seems like he's paying attention, but he's like, oh, what's this? What's he saying about God in this song? What's this mean? What's that mean? Right. And it it was cool. It was some really thoughtful conversations that we were able to have thanks to Andy and his music. So grateful for that. Check out the albums, follow Andy on Instagram. Yeah. Follow him at Andy Squires, all one word and Squires is spelled S Q U Y R E S. Like he said, and uh, he's also on Patreon. If you are loving his work and want to support what he's doing and um, also get a little bit more insider access to his world, uh, hit up Patreon. I think it's patreon.com backslash Andy Squires. Yep. So again, we thank you, Andy, for being a, our guest. You can check us out on Instagram as well. Uh, you could see on there our favorite shots, Andy's favorite shots, uh, post some updates throughout the week, and uh, just a good good way to keep the conversation going. We want to hear your thoughts on these movies. We want to see your favorite shots. We love that kind of stuff. Um, and be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so. We love the positive affirmation. And if not for us, give a rating for Andy. I was going to say, if not for us, give it for the algorithm. <laughs> but yes, also Andy. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell, why don't you, because this was your idea, why don't you tell us uh, what we're watching next week? Now, uh, so often we we, we got to come up with a reason. This is, oh, it's the end of the graduation season. We're watching the graduate. It's summer, so it's this. Uh, what are we watching next week? Well, let me first say that it's such a bummer that this year's October is just a stacked deck of movies coming out. <laughs> like new big we, movies. We've got... 
new big movies, but also for the pod. Yeah. So, okay, we've got Dune, French Dispatch. Oh, you you yes. probably have, like, yeah, there's so many. And then also we're doing this horror movie list countdown with uh, returning to the pod, Jared Hogan. And I'm like, can some of these come earlier? Because right now in movie season, there is such a lull. And so when we're trying to figure out what to watch and we're hit and we're just hitting walls, I I was like, you know, I, I was watching a YouTube video about Martin Scorsese, as I do in my spare time, just video essays on filmmakers. Of course. Um, I, I, I realized that that's kind of a gap in my movie watching uh, some of his work. Mm. And so I just pulled, pulled some titles that that video was specifically talking about. And I was like, man, I need to watch raging bull, which I have uh. never seen before. And just the footage that was being shown in that YouTube video got me excited. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I, I know I'm going to love this. And I obviously am aware of the, the uh, reputation that this film carries, but you know, uh, is it, is it okay that I just wanted to watch this and, and you were on board, so we're going to do that yeah. for this episode? A- apropos of absolutely nothing. Except for the Jake Paul boxing match. Uh, sure, sure. There. Whatever That's that our, means. our social connection. Is there also a milk crate challenge in this movie? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can only hope. <laughs> uh, I feel like there isn't Rocky, but <laughs> that feels on brand for Rocky. Uh, so we're going to watch Raging Bull next week. Um and Raging Bull, it stars Robert De Niro. It's a classic, classic Scorsese film. This would be our first Scorsese film for the podcast. Which is surprising that we've gone this long. Yeah, it is. Without. Because without. Um, he's one of your favorites. I, I mean, he's one of everybody's favorites, right? And uh, I haven't seen Raging Bull probably 10, 12 years. So I'm excited to revisit it, have a reason to revisit it. And you've never seen it. Um, and Raging Bull is streaming right now on Amazon Prime. Included with Prime, it's also streaming for free on the one and only Pluto TV. Pluto. <laughs> Pluto and Tubes. Pluto and Tubi. Our favorites. Uh, so check out Raging Bull. Uh, check out Andy Squires. We love you listeners. We cannot wait to be back. And uh, I'm excited for, for what's ahead the next couple of months. We've got some great stuff coming up. It's just I'm like it's impatient. Not, it's like, let's go for it's, it. It's nonstop. We'll be doing multiple episodes a week. An episode a day. Uh, no, we won't at all. So. But we 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 can uh, aspire. I listeners. love, but I, I gotta say, despite the impatience, I love this little we that we've had where we got to watch now back to back. There will be blood and then raging bull uh, <laughs> for no reason. I, I I would say though, like real like like college film broy movies, but you know that's kind of our brand, right? <laughs> hey, you are who you are. <laughs> at the end of the day. What am I doing? Enjoying good quality work. <laughs> oh, that's so lame. Uh, all right, have a great week, everyone. Good night, y'all. Bye.